Well, if you're expecting a traditional message today to celebrate Mother's Day, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. However, let me state very clearly that I deeply appreciate and honor not only my own wife as the mother of our kids, but all those who, who walk the path of motherhood. You see, God delights in you as an example of his heavenly love for us all. In Isaiah 66, 13, the word says, as a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you. And God gave us a promise that, that he would watch over us as a mother watches over her child. And so he likens his care for us to the care of a mother. So we should thank God for revealing his nature through the love of mothers and giving us eyes to see and hearts to respond to that revealed nature. Therefore, I say, thank you, mothers, for the love devotion, commitment, and sacrifices you have made for us. We pray that God would multiply back to you a hundredfold the joy we have in you and the joy he demonstrates through you. So thank you. Okay, you can go home. No. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Huh? Over the past two weeks, we've been exploring the Vineyard Core Values specifically these past two weeks with Reconciling Community, as we look once again into who we are and what we believe as a Vineyard Church and how we come to live and operate in our community. Our base text for this portion of the Vineyard Values is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And when we look at the value of being a reconciling community, we know first that Jesus is reconciling humans to God, to each other, and to the entire creation, taken from the uh, vineyard values. Therefore, we are committed to becoming reconciling uh, healing communities. And Phil Strout, the national director of Vineyard USA, stated very briefly, bringing people together, not a bad idea. So in the first week of this series, Pastor Dick helped us to recognize four areas of alienation or separation. First, uh, from re our relationship with God and what he called the garden life. That is close and complete fellowship with, our, with God, our creator and father. Second, we have become separated from ourselves and lost touch with our identity as reflectors of the image and impact of God in the world around us. Third, we are separated from others, and human relationships have suffered brokenness for it. Lastly, we have become separated from the harmony with God's creation. We have lost respect even for that which God had given over dominion to man when God first created him. So Dick preached about the process of our reconciliation through the redemptive power of Jesus, beginning with the fact that the most important thing, the greatest commandment, is to know that God has already reconciled us through and in Jesus. 
Last week, Pastor spoke about being reconciled to ourselves. He told us that God has reconciled us to himself and that because he has done so, we are to be reconciled to ourselves, to our identity as his child. We have received the ministry of reconciliation. and We have received that because he has entrusted it to us. He can only do that if we are reconciled to him. So we need to be intentionally about our father's business of reconciliation. We cannot fulfill the most important thing, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If we hold on to negative ideas about ourselves, we will reflect those negative feelings and our actions in relationships with others. Last week, Pastor left off with an exhortation from God for us to be reconciled to him with regard to our relationships with our earthly fathers, which directly affects the interaction between us and God in our relationship with him, our Heavenly Father. And when he was speaking of that, I recalled a time of ministry that I had with him about my earthly father. And I know there were some healings that went on, and I encourage you, Again, you know, if you need reconciliation in your relationship with your father so that you can be reconciled to God and therefore reconciled to yourself, then you need to seek someone out. Find someone to pray with you. Find someone to work with you and find out just the joy that God has in you, his child. Because when you change from one uh, paradigm to another, from this earthly paradigm of my father to understanding who my heavenly father is, everything changes. Everything changes. And God becomes so much more powerful in your life. So today I want to concentrate on that third measure of alienation or separation of the four that I mentioned, the separation of being alienated from others. We've already begun to address the topic a little bit in either of the other two weeks. But I want to take a closer look at the impact of such alienation alienation, and then we'll consider it how we can experience another measure of harmony in our relationships to God, to ourselves, and to others. In the New International Version Bible, in Ephesians, we read, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to, to, uh, to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Whenever you put two people together, with different backgrounds, different attitudes, different values, conflict happens. It's a given. It's a human thing. Try putting two women in the same kitchen. It doesn't work. Often one will quickly offend the other. And I'm not picking only on women, right? Because we all do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you know, two men in the same garage. That's where I was going. Because, because I know even my own sons, when they come, into, come to my house and we're doing a project or something, and one will go into my, my work shed and grab a tool or something, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Mine. We all do that. We just do it in different circumstances. We're territorial with our ideas, and we're territorial with our values. And inwardly, we feel we have an obligation, perhaps even a right, to impose our will or our set of values on others so that we can feel comfortable with ourselves when we're involved in a situation with other people. 
We see it's not always about them when we become this way. It's more about us and how selfish we are. This type of offense to others is pretty much intentional. It's not that we have decided specifically to disrupt the lives of others. It's more that we're just plain selfish. And the problem is that when we do this, when we usurp the will of another so that we can assert our own will or push our own ideas, we rupture relationships and cause an offense to someone. If someone else tries to do the same to us, we take offense. And thus, we break the bond of peace that should exist between us. This is purely and plainly selfishness. And it is just as plainly sin. For to violate that most important commandment is not to love your God and your neighbor as yourself. At other times, even though we may not deliberately manipulate or guilt people into doing something that we want them to do, we may still offend them. If only because we don't consider what plans they may have already made. Or else we don't know what circumstances they may be involved with at the time we approach them. Have you ever called someone up and said, hey, I need this from you. Well, I can't. And you hang up the phone and you, say, you start grumbling. Why? Because they can't do what you want them to do? Have you figured out why they can't do? Sometimes we don't consider those situations. We just react. So if they decline or they hesitate, we make assumptions. And unfortunately, we often react with comments or grumbling, and our reaction again breaks the bond of fellowship. We unintentionally tend to degrade them to the status of a mere object, and we judge them, not seeing them as persons with their own lives, but only as objects of our frustration, anger, and hurt. We unconsciously categorize people in terms of their offense against us as we perceive it. This, too, is ultimately selfishness. For at those times we do not obey the instruction of Scripture that Paul wrote in, Philipp uh, in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. These two scenarios demonstrate the majority of offenses that we commit against each other within the church. They cover, one, the insult because of intentional selfishness, and two, the accidental insult suffered through unintentional selfishness. They both cause a division in our relationships, and they both need to be resolved through a ministry of forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration to a place of, of peace and community that existed before the offense occurred. Paul, in writing to the Roman church, told them, repay no, uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, if your enemy is hungry, I'm sorry, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become over, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This, if this is the instruction on how we are to treat our enemies, 
how much better should we treat those whom we claim to love in Christ? As we become reconciled to God, we must become reconciled to others. That means we are being who God says we are, and we are then able to interact with other persons based on who God says they are. This is the ministry of reconciliation. It's understanding that we are reconciled to God, and he recognizes that in us and says, you are my child, and we have fellowship with God, and we are okay with ourselves because we're walking in the Lord. And now when we see others as God sees them, we can now be reconciled to them, and that bond of peace is restored. The active ingredient here is love. The gateway to reconciliation is forgiveness. Jesus, recognizing how God saw even his own executioners, prayed for them from the cross. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they, are do what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And Jesus looked down from the cross upon the scene that was most distressing to him. The Roman soldiers were gambling for his clothes. The criminals on the crosses on either side of him were reviling him. The religious leaders were mocking him. The crowd was blaspheming him. And Jesus looked down on this most unworthy lot and saw them as God saw them. And he said, Father, forgive them. What greater example of forgiveness can there be? Can we, dare we, do the same? Could we do the same? Could I forgive someone who is killing me? hurting me because God loves them too but this is only the beginning of the reconciliation process evidence of genuine forgiveness is personal freedom from the vindictive or vengeful uh, response to an offense it is not an automatic restoration of fellowship we can forgive but we have not yet fully restored forgiveness is overlooking a sin or transgression but it does not mean that the offensive action is right or justified. Neither does it mean we can justify our own defensive anger or sinful reaction. Forgiveness is laying aside our judgments against others and accepting them for who they are and who God sees them because we must remember he loves them too. His love is not exclusive to us and we do not hold any right to be exclusive or judgmental in our assessment of God's relationship with someone else. We cannot judge others because God loves them. We don't have the right, and we certainly don't have the responsibility. By asking God for forgiveness, we open ourselves to love his love and acceptance, his grace and compassion. But we must take the next step to see it through to restoration. 
So reconciliation is forgiveness in action. It's the actual restoration of the bond between two people mutually, who mutually accept each other for who each one is, God's beloved and forgiven child. You are his child. I am his child. So why should anything come between us? God loves you as much as he loves me. There is no partiality within him. So we have nothing. If we are like him, there is no shadow of turning. Consider the outcome of Jesus praying for those around his cross. Ultimately, he reconciled them through his death and resurrection. And by extension, he reconciled all men, us, to God, restoring us to the original relationship that God had with humanity in Adam. Jesus' act of forgiveness opened the door to reconciliation between God and man and restored us spiritually, for now, and in the future, experientially. We're going to experience, we're going to literally live in his presence. For now, we live in his presence spiritually, and we see the kingdom and reality step in from time to time as we allow it to happen when we are in fellowship. But he has restored us to that garden life that Adam shared and enjoyed with God, his father, before sin invaded that paradise experience. Now, this all sounds good. Sounds right, I hope. But some of us might still ask, how do I apply this to me? Well, I like to be a practical person when it comes to things like this. I like something concrete that I can use, that I can hang on to, that I can keep. I have posters all over my house that I look at that remind me of who I am in Christ. I want something that I can see, handle, that will help me make a life change that will move me to be a more effective person in my relationships. I believe that the Bible is is the word of God, and I believe that the Bible is the ultimate truth. But as a teacher of literature and history, I sometimes use the wisdom in men as God has given it to them to help me create perspective in some situations. Mahatma Gandhi once stated, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. I want to apply his statement to scripture so that we can make clear our goal of being reconciled to each other, to ourselves, and to God. First, beliefs. C.S. Lewis, the British author and theologian, once remarked, we are what we believe we are. If we believe we are justified to be angry or resentful, it will eventually become evident in the outworking of our lives. Solomon reminds us in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thoughts. We need to consider whether we want to be angry, bitter, hurt, resentful. We need to stop and contemplate, do I really want to feel this way anymore? Most of us would often say no. 
And sometimes I have a right to be resentful. Do you? Luke 6, 45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we want to act differently, we need to think differently. We need to make a decision to change the way we act. The decision comes before the action. I know that a number of years ago, Paulette and I, made a, we made a covenant to the Lord and to each other that we would stop being critical and judgmental. And it was hard coming from a family that grew up with a lot of negative, sarcastic humor. Loved each other all the time, and, you know, but we, were, we tended to be the jokers with each other. <laughs> You're a loser, and you don't really mean that yet. There's some little bit of pain that can happen out of those things. And we were like that. And it made us critical in our relationships with people in the church. And we came to a place together where we said, we refuse to be this way anymore. And we prayed and we sought God and we, we began to work that out. But we had to make the decision to do that before we could actually make the change. If you don't decide to change, you never will. You must make the decision before you can take action. Words, very powerful. This same verse does apply here because it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Once you've made the decision, you begin to speak that direction, and you begin to move in that direction, and you make the confession in that direction. And when we said we would no longer be judgmental, and we began to feel judgmental, we went back to that covenant that we said, we spoke, we, and we pray again, and we would say, Lord, we don't want this. Father, forgive us, reconcile us, restore us. And then we began to walk out of that. And over time, it doesn't happen instantaneously because we're humans. But over time, we came to a place where that was no longer the biggest force in our relationships with people. And I praise God for that because I feel so much freer these days than I used to feel as a Christian. If we want forgiveness for an offense, we must ask forgiveness from God and the person we've offended. In doing so, we take responsibility for our offense, and we seek God's grace and compassion. According to James 5, we should confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. There's both examples of speaking that you may be healed. Confess and pray. Once you've made the decision, you've begun to speak in that, then you could take action. Do something other than what brought you to the breach in the relationship. I tell my students, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Do something different. If you want to change in your life, do something different. 1 John 3, 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That word deed means in action and in truth. Let us love in action and in truth. Let your actions reflect the forgiveness and, for, and reconciliation that you seek. Verse 24 of the same chapter, 1 John 3, reads, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. 
So God is there reinforcing the reconciliation. He's reinforcing that restoration in the relationships because we're moving in the right direction. Remember that to keep his commandment, that most important thing is to love your neighbor as yourself. Part of that. Habits. A habit is something we do out of a tendency as a, or as a result of routine practice. Paul wrote to the Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap the, from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Keep doing it. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Practice not making assumptions or judgments when someone does something, whether inadvertently or on purpose. Practice not judging. Learn to experience that little red flag that goes up and says, don't want to go there. We can build them into our lives. Like Jesus, who went about doing good as a regular practice of what he saw his father was doing, we are to be imitators of the father in heaven. Jesus did what he could do, promoting the highest human happiness by every means in his power. We too can walk in the power of his presence and in the presence of God when we are reconciled to him. Values. Paul wrote to the Colossians, chapter 3, Seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Further on, Paul lists some of the values for Christians to live by and pursue. Compassionate hearts, verse, 13, four, uh, verse 12, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you almost must also forgive. Above all these, put on love. Back to that first commandment, the greatest commandment, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And in Micah, the prophet listed three very important values that should be acted out in the life of a child of God. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. These become the values that we seek. destiny. Here is our blessed hope. We are in the already but not yet kingdom of God. And this is where we can experience it the best. If we can learn to be those beacons of reflection for the light and life of Christ, then this is where our destiny lay. Colossians 3 promises, that, promises us that when Christ, who is your life, reappears then you will also appear with him in glory. 
Now, the word glory here has three different meanings. It can refer to a place in glory where Christ is, that is, in the heavenlies. It can refer to a position of being glorified by God. Jesus prayed, glorify your son, and God wants to glorify us. So it's not not a position office, but uh, a position or state of being glorified. And third, it can refer to a state of ecstatic pleasure, as in we glory in our worship to God. And all three of them apply here. And Romans 8.29 states, it gives us a picture of our present and future already, but not yet, standing in our reconciled relationship to God. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So as we continue to look at the values that motivate us as a church and as a community of believers, we must remember that the main focus of today's message has been on reconciliation between each other for interpersonal, divi- uh, interpersonal divisions. While this is an important focus, we must not forget that we and all humankind have offended God because of our inherent sinful nature. There's a breach in the relationship, or there was. Thank God for forgiveness. Therefore, all these concepts that I've laid out for human-to-human relationships can be uh, also applied to our relationship with God. And if so for us, then also for the world. See, if we have found reconciliation and a renewed relationship with him, we should be ready and eager to share the value and the joy, bless you, of that relationship to those who have not yet realized their plight of alienation from him. We should be ready to share that with others. Something that Mike Turgiano said to me just flashed back through my mind. But Thank you, Lord. As a vineyard church, we must also be about the Father's business of reconciling the world to him. That's his business, so it must be our business. And he has chosen us to do, the, to do that. He has used, he's decided to use humans to complete that reconciliation. As those forgiven by God, we can humbly approach those who have been affected or injured by our sins and make amends. And we can approach them and say, you have offended God. Without offending them, just it's a state of being, state of existence, not necessarily a state of judgment. The relationship is broken. And you can make amends with God. The relationship is broken, and I need to make amends with you. I no longer judge you. Forgive me. Let me be reconciled to you. Let the bond of peace exist between us. This change of heart brings glory to God, demonstrates the power of his word to the world. And it reflects his heart, who showed us reconciliation in the fullness of of Christ. Jesus responded to the question, which commandment is the most important of all? His answer was, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. But this, I think it would be appropriate to remind us of Jesus' commandment as given in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Little